It's the Skinny Podcast, only on Local12.com. Now, here's Richard Skinner. Welcome into the Skinny Podcast. It's the weekly potpourri edition. It's brought to you by Ryan Kiefer of Prime Lending. I'm Richard Skinner, Local12.com digital sports columnist and editor with Rick Broering. Each and every week, we look at the sports topics of local interest, maybe a national sports topic or two. We've got a gambling segment. In fact, we'll call this the degenerate gambling segment. Uh, it won't be degenerate when the regular season starts. But we'll talk about some preseason betting. And, of course, my favorite segment of the show where you can ask me a question on any topic. I've got a great ranking list that our friend Mo Egger gave from last week that, of course, I spent. I did spend some time on it. I have some facts to back up the way I rank them. A list of people from worst careers to best careers. That will come up later on in the podcast. Rick, um, you know, I've covered – Bengals training camp off and on for 20, yeah, well, actually 30 years, I guess, 30, 30 years, again, off and on, uh, not always on the beat, but, but on there enough. I, I'm not so sure I've ever been at a hotter practice than Wednesday. And we're doing this on Thursday morning. And I am, I am looking at heat indices of 105. They're talking about the, the, the grass temperature might be 110 when they go for practice this afternoon. I, I'm not looking forward to that. No, that doesn't sound nice at all. In fact, don't they have to like, start measuring that and taking the guys off the field at some point? Like, aren't we getting into the danger zone here? Well, yeah, yeah, a little bit. And, and they are good about it. They, they, they wear, they do wear monitors. Um, I'm not going to name a couple of players, but a couple of days ago, I heard one of the trainers walk up to a coach and say, Hey, next drill, this number and this number need to be out. Um, Cause they do have monitors on them. They do have immersion tubs close by. They've got plenty of ice. They do give them water breaks. I mean, this is not 1952 junction boys uh, type of camp. And I will say, I'll give Zach Keller this. He, he cut down the periods a little bit on Wednesday. Um, they've been ending about, starting about 2.45 and ending at about 4.30, 4.35. They ended about 10 after 4. And they started a little bit earlier too, but they ended about 10 after 4 yesterday. Um, so I, I, I honestly don't know what they're going to do today. I, I, I'm literally, I'm looking at those temperatures in, in awe. Plus, that's just the temperature. Then you're talking about the, the humidity in that oppressive range. Um, I feel bad. I, I honestly, I feel bad for some of those big guys because, man, uh, th- th- those bigger guys, it really wears on them. Shout out to the bigger guys. I get it. Yep. Yep. All right. Well, let's get into some Bengals training camp talk. We're wrapping up week two of training camp here as we record this. We knew Joe Burrow was going to be a huge topic of conversation coming into camp because of his injury, but his struggles in week one turned it into an even bigger deal. What's the update on Joe Burrow? How did he look this past week? You know, starting Saturday after he talked to us um, and, and kind of put himself out there of, of admitting that, that the pass rush was bothering him mentally and that it was up to him to, to, to fix that. Um, he's been really good. It's almost like he kind of spoke it into existence. Um, you know, maybe he did need to get up. Maybe he needed to actually verbalize the fact that, yep, this is bothering me. Um, it doesn't seem like it's bothering him hardly at all anymore. And there's been a couple of times where, um, guys have been in his face. Larry, Larry Ogunjobi almost killed him on Tuesday when he whipped Michael Jordan. There's a great picture of that in the Inquirer and Cincinnati.com of just exactly how badly Michael Jordan was beat and, and how quickly Ogunjobi was having to dance around Burrow. Burrow's also a couple of times probably would have been sacked, but then took off and ran, um, showed pretty good bursts doing that. And, and again, he doesn't look like he's he's worrying as much about the knee anymore or somebody rolling up on it as he is to just, just running the offense. Um, some of it too is, you know, th- there's, there's, and there's, there's some truth to this. I think it's some, some of coaches shielding him a little bit, but I think there's some truth to until Saturday, they really hadn't driven the ball. They hadn't like started to drive on a yard line. And then if you make a first down, you keep moving. It's been kind of scripted like third down plays. So, you know, the defense in that circumstance kind of knows 
what you're doing to some extent. You know, there's no play action stuff out of out of a lot of that. Um, they've been pretty good in the play action game the last couple of days. So uh, to his credit, I mean, I think it did. It obviously did affect him mentally. What we wrote and talked about was not malarkey. There was some real issue there, but to his credit, he's overcome that. And now the next phase is eventually getting into a game and taking that first hit. And who knows when it's going to be. It's not going to be this week because he's obviously not going to play in this preseason game. You know, you, you talk about his struggles there in that first week, and it's so quick and it's so early and you don't want to talk about overreacting but at the same time all the reports were the same and they were it's not just one day it's not just one series of throws it was just things were off they were very clearly off by everyone's reports that that were watching practice and everyone basically just starts holding their breath at that point after right hearing that about Joe Burrow so coming back this week getting reports that are positive obviously a big sigh of relief for Bengals fans in general, but I mean, it, it shouldn't be unexpected, right? The idea that this was going to take Joe Burrow a few days to get going because of his return from injury, but also yes. just like the guys that he's working with getting back on track too. You, you had a weird year last year. You have a rookie in Jamar chase out there running routes who had a, a year off last year. You've got tight ends coming back, new tight ends coming into the mix. Like there's a lot of moving pieces here too. Yeah, I would say yes and no to that. There's no doubt about that last part. But the other one is, I think it's just the fact that when we saw him last year in camp with no OTA, no offseason, no nothing. I mean, he hit the ground running, man. He was he was clicking from from Jump Street at last year's training camp. So and again, he's the one that that on Saturday said. The knee was mentally it's mentally bothering me, the pass rush stuff that we kind of figured it, it, it showed the human side of him. So, yeah. And I think the other part, too, you know, I asked Jamar Chase yesterday if, if you know, maybe in retrospect that year off left more rust than he thought. And he said, yeah, that, um, you know, it really has a lot to do with quickness. And he said not athletic quickness, just kind of quickness of 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 knowing how to do things again. And it's it's taken him a little bit of time. And he's he's had a couple of good practices in a row. He's starting to string together, made a really tough contested catch in traffic yesterday where he. He had two guys ripping at the ball on a, on a third down play and he hung on tight and, and made a really good catch. He caught a nice 50, 50 ball uh, last week from, uh, from Brandon Allen. Uh, he had a touchdown catch where he made a really good move on Chidobia Wujier in, in the end zone or in a red zone drill. Um, so he's starting to kind of figure it out. He's starting to get a little separation. So yeah. And I think all that stuff is coming together a little bit and, and you're starting to see it here, here in, in, in camp. Those are definitely positive reports here to hear as well as that, you know, he's starting to figure it out a little bit because be, you're combining all of the, the Joe Burrow stuff along with the Jamar Chase stuff, along with what we're hearing about Jackson Carmen, which we can get to it in a second here. Yeah, that, that, now, that is not good news there, but keep going. <laughs> right. And it's all adding up to, oh, God, like, you know, is this a disaster offseason for the Bengals all altogether? So the Joe Burrow concerns quickly being put to rest. The Jamar Chase stuff, at least it seems like normal process type stuff going on here. And at least he's starting to flash a little bit here in week two, because after week one, there was basically nothing positive to speak of. And you start hearing all the, the naysayers talking about the draft and everything. Going back to the offensive line, Michael Jordan is listed as a starter heading into Saturday night's preseason game. You've got uh, Jackson Carmen as a third stringer. What do you make of all the complaints and that offensive line depth chart. Um, it, 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 it's obviously a clear message to Jackson Carmen when that first depth chart came out on Monday and we've seen it with our own eyes, who's he's, who he's repping with, but, but that's kind of the, 
official depth chart, if you will. Um, when when you saw him with the third team and you saw Deontay Smith, who was drafted as a tackle and who only moved to guard over the weekend in front of Jackson Carmen on the depth chart. I think there's a clear message of Jackson Carmen, whatever he's doing. And the funny part is when we've talked to, to coaches, they, they've had positive things to say about Jackson other than, you know, he's a young guy still trying to figure it out. And I get that part of it, but I, I mean, Rick, if he's not going to win the guard spot, then how about we start repping him at tackle? Cause that's really what you drafted him for. Right. Yeah, well, that's a good point to begin with. I, I was I hadn't even gotten to thinking that far along just because I was more worried about they're talking about him being out of shape, which is not a great sign, but you can overcome that. I mean, there's plenty yeah, of he, bad offensive linemen. Right. Out there. And, and he, he's a he's a big guy to begin with. So we have to we have to temper that. But you know, he I don't think Ricky didn't take any. They, they did mostly first and second team. In fact, they did all first and second team stuff yesterday. The the even the third team, fourth team quarterbacks and, and some wide receivers didn't get reps. He got no reps in the team session yesterday. None. That's not a good sign. And again, it's still early. I mentioned last week that in some ways it doesn't bother me to see them listen to him at third string and dangling the carrot for a young guy like that. Right. It's, but, it, it, yeah, it's a clear message, right? I mean, it's, it's got to be. I mean, we're going to talk to Zach Taylor today. I mean, we've not talked to Zach since that depth chart came out. It's obviously a clear message. It was a message on day one of training camp when they put him there. And I guess the message wasn't received, whatever that message was. Well, that, that's exactly it. The fact that there really has been no change. And in fact, it sounds kind of even worse than what we heard, you know, after the first couple of days of training camp. It's not sounding positive. I mean, th- this guy was a project to begin with. We knew that going in. He's sounding like an even bigger project who maybe isn't all that professional. I mean, I don't want to go too right. far with this, but no, I, I, based I, on the I things think, we're here, and it sounds like he's not quite ready. That. Right. Yeah, yeah, and I think that's part of it. And that just that worries you because I mean sure. this is you know kind of the uh, why well, the the Andre Smith the um, who, I'm not, I'm not you, you you don't remember the guy but and I'm not going to go there yet guy named Freddie Childress they called him Fat Freddie Childress a second round pick out of Arkansas I want to say in '89 uh, Freddie didn't even make the team his rookie year that's that's not good you no don't want that. now Jackson Carmen is not going to not make this team let's not go that far to it but. I, again, I go back to the first day of camp. Remember, Rick, he was running third team. We all reported it. He was taking third team reps and installing. And, in, and, and listen, first day of camp, that doesn't mean a whole lot. And then you quickly saw him start to take some reps with the ones and the twos. And you thought, all right, that was just some kind of first day message of, hey, man, you, you, you came back maybe not in the shape we wanted you. You didn't retain the things we wanted you. We just need you to act more like a pro. And then he starts not playing very well. And boom, all of a sudden, back to third team. And you move the tackle who struggled to tackle into guard ahead of him, who was drafted two rounds later. There's a message going on there, man. Yeah, it definitely is. It's not a positive trend here. And there was so much made about that pick and that strategy of, hey, we don't have to draft Panay Sewell. We we can still get better in the offensive line by, you know, we got a Riley Reef type of guy and and we're going to draft a a stud in the second round who's going to, compete right away and the only reason he would possibly not be starting is because we did better and we upgraded right and yet everyone looks up and you've got Michael freaking Jordan right back in the starting lineup again the guy who got you in this position to begin with with Joe Burrow's knee that's a major cause for concern for any fan no I I I agree with that um I will give them credit though it's not like they've said hey we drafted this guy in the second round we stuck our neck out and we're gonna put him in there come hell or high wall let's give the coaching staff a little bit of credit for basically saying no guy you know we're trying to send a message to you again I don't know what that message is um, but they're trying to do it 
and he's not living up to it, and they're not going to compound a mistake of that pick by just throwing him in lineup and again this is still early he may turn out to be a 10-year pro I didn't I'm one I've said this before um I didn't like him as senior year in high school when I saw him play I'll give him credit he went to Clemson and had a wonderful career so um obviously the talent is there there's no question about that and, and it's still very early but I I'm I'm, I mean, I'm gonna ask the question today of Zach of if the guy's not gonna win the guard spot and you've got this plethora of guards right I mean you got Quentin Spain who's a pro and he started in this league and had some level of success you got Xavier Suofilo who's the same they like Michael Jordan come hell or high water they like what they've seen so far out of Deontay Smith so at that point would you not maybe think about repping Jackson Carmen in his natural position to see if that's better when really you don't have a lot of tackles right now well they did get Fred Johnson back and, and he did, he's going to he, he, he uh, participate in individual drills yesterday I'm going to guess he'll probably do so again today and then get back to a normal routine next week but you know, you know the, the day when Fred Johnson was out and Riley Reef was out and Deontay Smith was at right tackle, Sam Hubbard looked like a forty million dollar man. <laughs> What's Xavier Suafilo making? Three million, three plus? Yeah, yeah. It, it and it's 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 been a topic of conversation for some of us covering the team of if he makes it or if you if you if you cut. I, I think he does make it. I think he's a security blanket, Rick. I, in fact. I made a point of it. It wouldn't shock me for that Minnesota game if you're starting guards or Xavier Suofilo in, in Quentin Spain. Well, I'd rather see that, to be quite honest with you. To me, I don't know what it is. Like maybe Michael Jordan is the best five on O offensive lineman ever. Right. Like he just runs right. the greatest pass protection and sets with no pass rush or something. And he just really wows his coaches by knowing what the hell's going on in practice because they seem to love him. In practice. And this is, and again, you know, we kind of poked fun at Jim Turner for this, right? But now this is Frank Pollock who's got him running first. So this is, again, two separate offensive line coaches that have kind of fallen in love with Michael Jordan. So there, there is something there. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, at least it's not uh, our boy. God, I already forgot his name. Oh, Bobby Hart. Bobby Hart. Thank you. I, yep. I tried to delete it from my memory already. <laughs> at least it's not Bobby Hart. But I do just wonder. At some point, do you not just watch the film from live game action and see him getting physically dominated at the point of attack constantly and realize, hey, this guy's just not tough enough, not physical enough, not strong enough, whatever it is, he can't handle NFL caliber players. Yeah, they, they go out of their way to, 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 to effusively praise him. So there's, so there's something there. It's it's bizarre. All right, the team will travel to Tampa Bay this weekend for Saturday night's preseason game against the Buccaneers. You can watch that at 7.30 p.m. on Local 12. Give me two things fans should be paying attention to in this game, Skinny. Um, I want to, I'm interested in, in linebacker play. Logan Wilson and Jermaine Pratt have had a great camp, but you're not allowed to tackle, right? So, you know, you don't know. But Logan Wilson shows up in the backfield a lot. They blitzed him some. There's been a lot of a lot of – Good things. Jermaine Pratt had that interception of Burrow the one day and has looked really good. And uh, Luana Rimo's gone out of his way to pre- praise both of those guys. Um, so I'm interested to see what they do with some live action um, if they carry it over to that. And, and I guess I'll give you three things. I, I, I want to see what 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 Chris Evans does as a running back. I mean, he made a great catch in practice yesterday. He's done a lot of great things in the past game. Again, it's always hard to tell running wise. You know, would he have run through that tackle? Um, would he avoided that guy as opposed to getting slapped or tagged or thudded? Um, and I want to see if he can do that because he may be the third back. Travion Williams has had a pretty good camp too. And then I, I think you, you have to put Chase in that mix too, right? We, we need to see Chase. We've seen him make progress. Now we need to see him do it in a game. We need to see all of that. So um, I, those are the three main things for me. How much can we look at the offensive line in, in this game, yeah. or is it just going to be too hard to tell? 
Well, I know Bruce Arian said he's going to play his starters, and it doesn't mean how much he's going to play them. But, yeah, I, I think you can. I mean, if you see a guy, you know, getting dominated at the point of attack, if, you know, Larry Ogunjobi just absolutely blew by Michael Jordan. He owned him in practice a couple days ago and actually owned him in practice yesterday. He's, he's really done a good job against him to this point um, and, and dominated him at times. And some of it, maybe Larry's only been back for a couple days and has a little more freshness to him, fresh legs, et cetera. But he's looked really good. Um, but yeah, you certainly have to see how this offensive line performs. Um, they've not done great in pass protection overall. Uh, they they talk about, and in fact, I wrote about it Sunday, maybe because Zach Taylor talked about it, that he thinks they're really clicking in the run game. And, and there are some holes being opened up. But like I said, would that have been a five yard gain or a 52 yard gain? Right. Because you can't right. tell with, with no live tackling. Um, so I think all that stuff factors into the equation. So, yeah, there, there, there's a lot to see. I mean, there's no Joe Burrow, but there's a lot there's a lot of other things to see in this game, in my opinion. Last thought on the Michael Jordan thing. Wouldn't you think just for the sake of Joe Burrow's own mental health and not making him go through PTSD that you wouldn't have him getting thrown around like a rag doll there by Larry Ogunjobi in practice? Like, I just think the idea of seeing Michael Jordan in front of me, if I'm Joe Burrow, would really wreck my confidence to start the year. I It seems crazy to well, me. Well, you know, if you want to exercise the demons, I brought this up to a couple people on the on the media relations house said hey if you want to exercise the demons if somehow they, they take over on their own two yard line in washington next week i put joe there and i put michael jordan at right guard so let's turn this back and do it right this time you have <laughs> that's off win it that's off win deal if you are willing to watch that even as sick as you are mm. all right let's switch topics here skitty the reds won five in a row now they've lost three in a row here as we record this on Thursday morning. They sit four and a half games back in the wild card, eight in the division. This was a team that looked like they were right there again and, and were just two games back in the wild card. And lo and behold, they start blowing games again late and can't seem to get right, can't seem to get over the hump. Is it just more of the same old with this team or what? What are your thoughts on what we've witnessed over the last week plus? It, every time I start feeling good about this team, they pull this. And every time I start thinking this team is done, they do the exact opposite. So just for the sake of Reds fans listening to this, I think they're done. And then hopefully that means they'll, they'll reverse course and do it, you know, go good again. I've never seen a team that pulls you in so in, in both directions so quickly like this team. I, I, did, I do a radio hit for a Lexington radio station on Monday mornings. And the guy who's the host is a big Reds fan. So that's always a topic of conversation. Um, uh, just asked me how the week went and what's ahead, et cetera. And I said, you know, as long as you don't go on this road trip and tank it, I'm still feeling good because the schedule still is very favorable. The schedule for the Padres is not, they still got the Dodgers nine times and the Giants seven times. And, and, you know, but all of a sudden you look up and, you know, you got your two best pitchers this season. Well, not Luis Castillo, not all season, but obviously Luis Castillo since whatever June 1st has been lights out and Wade Miley has been great all year. So your two best guys both have bad starts this week. And then you have another bullpen semi meltdown in the three, two loss on, on, on uh, Tuesday, on Wednesday, on Tuesday, rather um, they do. This team pulls you in both directions. It's like, it is really maybe the biggest roller coaster season I have ever witnessed to be quite frank. It is frustrating as hell from a fan's perspective, obviously. And the fact that it keeps happening in the fashion that it does with the, the late game scenarios, the way they'll rally, they, they force extra innings in a game like last night on Wednesday, only to lose it in the 11th on a three run bomb. And it's, it's different guys too. It's not always the same. Now, granted, no, that's right. That's right. Been, it is. It's different there's, guys. 
there's been way too much Heath Embry and Amir yes. Garrett this year ruining those situations. Yes. And the fact yes. that they keep getting the high leverage opportunities is infuriating. I will admit that. I mean, you know, we we heard Lance's rant from last week. and We talked about a little bit about that situation on here about playing or throwing a guy like Heath Embry out there after three really bad appearances. And then the fourth, he blows it again in a, in a high leverage situation. And then happened again this week with him and Amir Garrett combined in the same inning. I, I get where people are coming from on that for sure. Th- those guys are getting too many spots where it's just big game moments. But again, I mean, it's happening with all, all different guys here. And I don't know what David Bell is exactly supposed to do other than just throw his hands up and say, this sucks. You know, I, I meant to do this before the podcast today, Rick. I really did, and I, I didn't get a chance to. You know, we go back to all that spin rate stuff. I, I, I wonder how, how much runs have gone up across the league um, since, since they started checking pitchers coming off the mound. And, you know, Lucas Sims, high spin rate guy, right? And throws a fastball right down the middle, and it's Pike for the game-winning three-run homer. I'm really interested in Antone uh, when he comes back because, obviously, you know, his, his spin rate is, is, is high. Sonny Gray's struggling all of a sudden, you know, with this. So – I do wonder if that's got a little something to do with, with some of these things too, that, you know, you don't have great pitchers to begin with and then you take away some of the, the, the quote unquote advantages and it makes it even worse. Well, I, I think there could be something to that, especially with the guys that the reds were targeting going after right, the, right. the way that, you know, spin Cincinnati and all of that. You do wonder if it is affecting some of these guys with Amir Garrett though, like, He's talking. It's it. It is mental with him. It totally is mental. Yeah, with him. but you, he's even it, talking it is, about it. Right. But you know what? The whole effort. I'm just gonna throw. Well, I saw you do that in the Philly game, and that's when you threw your palms up to the sky. Like, what am I supposed to do? For whatever reason, he's lost it. Yeah. And it, maybe it is mental, but he's lost it, man. Well, he's clearly in his own head. I don't think there's any doubt about that because he still right. has the stuff on the nights that it. For whatever reason, he figures it out. He still has stuff. Like the slider is there when it when he's on and. Guys can't hit it. It's just he can't throw strikes sometimes. And when he does, it seems like he has to throw center cut meat up in the zone, unlike his his slider that's usually really hard to hit and down. Um, I, it just, for whatever reason, his head hasn't been there all year. No, and right. It's, he, he got right for a couple bizarre. weeks there, but he seems to be back where he was. So yep, yep. I, I, I don't know what the answer is. I don't know where else to really go with Red's conversation at this point, because it feels like it is just the same thing over and over again with this team. And you probably said it best that every time you feel like they're getting you to that point and you're ready to really get excited. And it was the same thing right before the all-star break when they had that, that chance to go on a run and, you know, against the Brewers and they, they weren't able to, and it's the same thing right now. You get two games away from the wild card spot. And then you go on a three game losing streak like this with, with uh, a decent schedule. So, you know, the Braves are playing pretty good right now. You got to give that to them. But like you said, the, the schedule coming up is favorable for the Reds still. If they can't put something together here, then it it you do have to feel pretty much like it's over for this guy. Yeah, and I, and I do want to say one thing. I, we all had the whole the whole conversation throughout the offseason and the early part of this season of the you know issue at shortstop. Tip of the cap to Kyle Farmer, man. Dude's playing some pretty good baseball. No, it's been all year. I I was one who really thought even as he got off to the solid start and, you know, we're getting close to the all-star game. It's like, all right, but this guy's going to come back down to earth. You can't win with a guy like that starting at shortstop and to his credit. He's kept it up all year long. I mean, at this point, he's just had 
a legit good season, even if he starts to fade a little bit here towards right, the end. Right. It's been a good season. Yeah, he's he's literally going to bridge you to Jose Barrero. I mean, he really he's going to bridge you to that point and good for him. Yeah. And I'm by the way, though, I'm not giving the front office credit for that because they no. had no idea what the plan was. No, no, in, I, no, that was I, not I, their plan. Yeah, no, I'm not tipping my cap to them. I'm, I'm tipping my cap to that to that guy, though. He's yeah. he's done a hell of a job, both defensively and offensively. Absolutely. All right, Skinny, the preseason U.S. Today coaches poll was released on Tuesday. Reigning national champion Alabama is on top again. Ohio State comes in at number four in the country, and Cincinnati is ranked 10th to start the season. Here's how it looks. Alabama got 63 of those 65 first-place votes. Oklahoma, what, about the other two idi- what about the other two idiots? But keep going. Yeah, Oklahoma got the other two. Uh, Clemson was actually at number two ahead of Oklahoma. Oklahoma, three. Ohio State, four. Georgia, five. Then Texas A&M, Notre Dame, Iowa State, North Carolina, and Cincinnati rounding it out. Indiana is at number 17. I mentioned that, obviously, because Cincinnati will get a chance to play Indiana early in the, the season. You, you mentioned the, the idiots voting for Oklahoma. Do you think they're idiots because they didn't vote for Alabama or just yes. because they thought that Oklahoma would be number one? Yeah, no, I, they, they didn't vote for Alabama. Really? Because um, I'm that, actually surprised that, Alabama was that heavy as a favorite. No, dude, they've got so much talent. It's just, but silly. they lost, they lost everything from last yeah, year. They I, don't even I, know I, their quarterback is. I, I will say, I, I think the Ohio State situation is interesting because they've got a lot of nice pieces other than you don't know about quarterback. Right. I mean, you know, you lost Justin Field, but I, I could have seen them getting a first place vote or two. Well, I'm honestly a little surprised Georgia didn't get any. Well, I think I'm, people I'm, just don't I'm trust Kirby there. Smart. No, I think that's a, and that's I think that's exactly what it is. Um, I'm kind of with you there. Um, I think they're a little undervalued, to be quite frank. I think I think Notre Dame is way overvalued. I, I, I'm sorry. I mean, you lost a, star, a three year starting quarterback and some other pieces around it, and you're going to put them in the top 10. I I will say the good part for UC is this, um, playing Indiana and Notre Dame early, and you can imagine they'll probably be somewhere similar in the AP poll when it comes out. Uh, Playing those two teams early, if if you beat them, you get a nice little feather in your cap, right? It's not like you beat unranked Indiana in all likelihood or non-top 10 Notre Dame or non-ranked Notre Dame. You're probably, when you play them, they're both going to be ranked Man, those would be two just great wins for the chance to get in the college football playoff. I mean, you, you can't ask for a better scenario for Cincinnati to have a chance. Well, I was just going to ask you about that. I mean, based on where Cincinnati is to start the season, top 10, which, you know, uncharted territory for them right. in terms of preseason positioning. You, you know, last year they fought their way up to eighth by the end of the year after, you know, a nine and oh stretch or whatever, or nine and one, I guess. Um, do, do you think that starting the season at number 10, given that they've got a game like a Notre Dame, who's at number seven and, and likely will be there or better when UC plays them. Is, is that enough? I mean, is this legitimately a, a chance for UC to make the college football playoffs or will they find a way to screw them either way? No, I, I can't imagine this time again. It, I, if you get those two road wins, and like I said, both those two teams, unless Indiana somehow, I don't know what their early early schedule is, but I'm guessing they've got a, a bye game um, ahead of Cincinnati. Uh, you're going to get two ranked wins there, and you can't knock Cincinnati for that. And they both would be on the road. And they're listen, they're going to have to run the table. We would all agree. they're not. It's not going to be a one-loss Cincinnati getting in. They're going to have to run the table. 
but I think they've got to, I mean, there's no better scenario than this one for them. What a perfect year to have Notre Dame and Ohio and, and, and Indiana on your schedule with them both being ranked, both being on the road and you having a, a great football team, um, to, to challenge those two teams with, you couldn't ask for a better scenario for a Cincinnati jump into the college football playoff, but you right. got to take care of business. Yeah, it, it really does stack up well. It, it was planned perfectly by them. I mean, they knew they were going to be in a good spot, assuming Luke Fickle stuck right. around, and it's played out perfectly. You mentioned Indiana's schedule. They play at Iowa to open the season. Okay. So right. a little yeah, bit okay. of a test yeah. there. Yeah. And then they've got a home game against Idaho. They should yeah. roll. Right, right. But then you've got that September 18th game. It's a home game at noon against Cincinnati. That's not going to be the most imposing stadium that UC is going to walk into. In fact, I imagine there'll be a decent amount of UC fans there. Yeah. Yeah. I um, think so too. You know, Bloomington, they like to tailgate, but they don't often make it in the, the stadium all that well. So a noon game there. I, I, I think there's a little, a very legit chance that they, they pull that win off. And then, then you start dreaming big at that point. No question. Right. So. No doubt. No doubt. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I think 10th is is about where they needed to be. I think they are much lower than that, and it really limits their chances to be seriously in the conversation. But you start out the season at number 10, and you get those two big wins, uh, you're you're in the thick of it then for, for the duration of the season. And that, that gives them a, a much more legit chance than, you know, hoping – everybody ahead of you loses at the end. Of yeah. The year. And, and that's all I would want is just, just give me the, the opportunity to play my way into this as opposed to luck my way into it or creep my way. You got a chance to play your way into it and, and, and not let some outside factors make determinations of why they can't let a UC in. Trust me, a 12 and OUC will be in the college football playoff. I think you're right. I mean, given that they're starting off the season or a 13, you know, if you go with the conference title game. Yeah. And you know, what's crazy. And this isn't a shot at UC at all. In fact, it's, it's, the opposite. It's a shot at the system and and where things are at and why we need an expanded playoff. As much as I'm sitting here saying this and agreeing with you that they're starting off the season top 10, they've run the table, they'll be in. It's almost impossible to envision them being in, in the current system that we have. It's, it's almost like they'll figure something out. Like multiple SEC teams will have two losses. And for some reason <laughs> that will mean that they are in instead of UC because both of them, because Alabama and Georgia both had two losses or something. I, it'll be something weird like that. Yeah, I don't see it. I, again, it helps them the way the schedule is laid out for them this year. It really does. All right, we've got uh, – we can talk betting here for a second. We don't really have anything too specific except for the start of a full preseason NFL slate. Skinny, I have to ask you, what are your thoughts on betting NFL preseason games? Is it a, a no-no? Or are you interested at all? And if so, what type of bet do you even consider here? Yeah, I, I, I haven't bet the preseason in years. I used to live for it many, many years ago, what I call my degenerate days. Um, and I thought I had some systems to beat the preseason, and you just don't. But would I on a night where I was not doing something and the Bengals weren't playing and I could play a three or 14 parlay maybe for blanks and giggles? Yeah, maybe. Um, but other than that, it's, it literally is such a crap shoot. I mean, like this weekend, Joe Burrow's not going to play for the Bengals and you would say that's a big strike against them. Right. Um, and, and supposedly, uh, Bruce Arians has talked about playing his starters a little bit in, in that game. And you think, well, okay, that's a big advantage for Tampa Bay, but then you get to Brandon Allen might play two or three quarters. And is he as a, as, as the Bengals backup go better against Tampa's backups? You, you don't know it. You really don't. 
Um, it's it's a it's a crapshoot for the most part. I think the Bengals are a six point underdog. That's I'd right. Probably lean towards. I'd probably lean towards taking the points there. <laughs> Bengals plus. So you're going Bengals plus six. Yeah, yeah, over, I am. Over under is thirty three and a half. Do you like the? Uh, I'm gonna over? go. I'm gonna go over. I'm going over. As good as this Bengals defense has played, somehow Tampa Tom's gonna get him a touchdown. Okay. I like that. So we're going Bengals plus six and the over. Yeah. Uh, if you if you're interested in money line, Bengals are plus two fifteen. Ooh, I like that too. Yeah, I think that that's a that's a good option for you there. The real question is, and I don't know what they'll do here because they don't typically list player props until day of game right. anyway. When you figure out injury reports and all that, I wonder, given the unpredictable nature of who plays in preseason games, if they still do player props. Do you have any idea on that? I do not know that. I, I'm not a big player prop guy. I know you are. I, I played one NBA player prop this year. I don't even know why I did it. I had like, I had some weird number of dollars left on a voucher. And I'm like, I, I've bet all the games I want to bet. I, I I took a DeAndre Ayton over a certain point player prop and I won it. I'm one and oh in player props this past year. Um, but I, I don't often look at player props. I know you do. I know this. I'm going to say this right now. If Auden Tate is on there for a player prop as a touchdown, take him. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to do that. That I've, I absolutely am going to do that. So uh, I will say too, I was hyping up the uh, fan duel, same game parlays during the NBA postseason. I was having a lot of fun doing yes. that where yeah, 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 you, yeah. you could take like yep. a, a player prop combined with another player prop combined with a money line or something like that, all on the same game. DraftKings has now implemented that same option. They have same game parlays now too, okay. trying to keep up with FanDuel. So if you're uh, out there using the apps over there in Indiana or some other legalized state and you have the option to use DraftKings, I just want to throw that out there that you can now Did do you, that as well. Yeah. You know, the first time I really paid much attention to that, what was that crazy Adam Sandler movie where he played the, the, the gambler uncut gems. Yeah. Yeah. That, that crazy last game that he makes the bet on where he, you know, he bets the, the jump ball. He bets Garnett points. He bets, I, I, he strung together what like a five or sixteen parlay out of that, and he had to and he had a bunch riding on it. Man, just just how that whole scene played out, I was sweating with him. Full disclosure: I have not seen Uncut Gems yet. Oh, I need to. Oh, oh, I can't. Yeah, you got to see it. I'm telling you, you got to see it. Yeah, I think so. he's really. I think he's really good in it. Yeah, I've heard good things about it. I, I've heard a lot of people like it and, and have watched it multiple times, and somehow I have not even seen it yet. So, yeah, that's what, honestly, I've not never been a big player prop guy, but. um uh, the way that kind of played out in the movie, I'm like, oh, oh, I didn't know really you could do all those things. And in some places you can't. Um, but yeah, I know you've talked about the fan duel and all that. And now DraftKings, you said, are doing it. Um, obviously, they, they they feel like they can probably make a little bit of money off of it. Yeah. Well, I mean, they are. It's just like, you know, parlays. There are They are suckers bets for the most part. But yep. Uh, the yep. same game allows you to have a lot of fun with it. Yeah, so, no question. Yeah, uh, I do enjoy yeah. that. All right, ask any anything. We've got a handful of questions here, and we'll start with some sports. Actually, most of these are sports questions, maybe all of them. Uh, is Joey Votto a Hall of Famer, and which MLB player does Skinny think belongs in the Hall of Fame but isn't in there yet? Ooh, I don't know about that last part. I have to do some research. The Joey Votto question is an interesting one. I know it's come up on Dan Patrick's show the last week or so. They've debated the, the values of Bryce Harper versus Joey Votto Hall of Famer. I'm going to say no, and that's probably not right. It just feels like there's so many guys, in, and maybe maybe it's because the walks will get held against him. I mean, the numbers are pretty good. The longevity is good. The consistency is good. You know, I'm one that didn't believe 
Tony Perez belonged in the Hall of Fame. I'm one that believed that, that uh, Phil Necro and Don Sutton didn't belong in the Hall of Fame just because they hung around and put numbers up. And I'm not telling you Joey's hanging around. I mean, Joey's uh, he's found the fountain of youth, obviously, th- this season. I don't know why. I, I really, this is, sounds so unhot takey. I don't know why I say no to that. But for some reason, I do. I don't consider him one of the great players of this generation. And that, that sounds odd and probably is completely off base and wrong. I, there's just a feel to me of what a hall, when watching a Hall of Famer is. And I maybe the injuries did a little bit of that. I, I'm going to say no, Rick. You, probably, you can disagree all you want. I, 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 you can probably make a case better than I can for him. Yeah, I mean, obviously everyone looks at all those war numbers and stuff when you get into that now with uh, and maybe trying to should. compare guys. And I think when they when they do that, the, the stuff I've read has Votto right on the cusp of it, it seems like. He's right. he's right there, depending on which number you're looking at it exactly. Votto is unique because he's he's kind of done it a little bit differently, like, like you mentioned, comparing him to a, a Bryce Harper or someone like that. Um, the fact that he's been so in the on-base percentage and kind of the new age analytics of this stuff and is, has sacrificed some of his other numbers, maybe, I, right, I think right. is something you got to try to equate and and compare against guys who did it differently in a call, different call, era where things fair, were valued fair. differently. Call, call up his baseball reference pages we're talking here, and, and over the right-hand column on it, it'll have where he finished each year in, in, um, in MVP voting. It's probably going to end up being better than I thought. I know he obviously he's got the one MVP, but it feels like he finished runner-up at least once, fourth maybe a couple of times. That's, that's trending in Hall of Fame territory when you've done some of that stuff. Yeah, he had the MVP in 2010. Uh, he finished in sixth in 2011, in 14th and 12, in sixth in 2013, in third in 2015, in seventh in 2016, and in second in 2017. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know that he's ever been considered the best player Right at any point during his era, but he's been right there in the conversation for an extended period now. I will say this resurgence, I think, definitely helps him. I I agree with that. And like I said, it's not him just hanging on to get numbers. It's him um, playing at a pretty high level when I've kind of considered him no longer a real threat going into this year. He's turned that completely on its ear. 100 percent. I mean, you, you go back to 2019. He was clearly on the decline, only hitting 261, the 357 on base percentage. And then after last year's obviously a shortened season and he's always been kind of a notoriously slow starter. So you can excuse some of it, but you really had to feel like he was on a steep decline and a major tail off to ride off into the sunset here towards the end of his career. But with the year he's having now, it gives you a little confidence that maybe he can play the string out until he's 40 and put together two or three more legit years. And if he does that, I think it definitely gives him a a much better chance of, of getting himself in there, not just because he's acquiring more stats, but just because of the the longevity of his career. I mean, he's at 25 home runs again already this year. Right? No, it's, he's got 14 home runs in the last 20 games. I think that ties the Reds team record for most home runs in, in, in a 20 game span with Frank Robinson. I mean, that's, and that's just a short sample, but it's that's a pretty nice run at, at the age he's at. He's only I, had two seasons where he's hit over 30 home runs prior to this year. He's right. going to get it this year. Yeah, and that's maybe this year and and at least not fading into the sunset quickly over the next couple, maybe that pushes him towards the Hall of Fame. But I'm saying as we sit here today, if and there's so many guys out there nowadays too, Rick, that, that are Hall of Fame worthy. Um, 
that that it seems like haven't gotten into this point. It feels like it's just going to keep getting more and more crowded. But again, maybe you get guys who do look deeper into the analytics and say, no, I mean, if you look at all the real real numbers you should be looking at, this guy's a Hall of Famer for me. And you're getting, I think, more and more writers, certainly, that 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 do that nowadays. So maybe that, that pushes him into the hole. Yeah, I think the big thing there is that on-base percentage is valued now at, at a higher level. And that's where he shines. So when you start comparing okay, maybe his home run numbers aren't there with some of the greats and even some of the very goods that won't be Hall of Famers ahead of him, but you compare his home runs and his on-base percentage compared to any right. of those other guys, what? none of none of them are there. Do you, or, still, have his, do you, do you still have his page up? Yeah. Um, read me his career slash line at the moment. His career slash line is 303, 417, 520. Wow. That's a career 930 OPS? Yeah, 938. Oh, it's pretty damn good. Right. And when you start looking at those things, it's like, well, not a lot of guys have the combination of the slash line. The, again, the on-base percentage is what really sets him apart when compared. Yeah, but he's still a 500-plus slugger, too. I mean, right. That's what I'm saying. Combined with those other numbers, they don't have all of that. So I think it's going to give him a very good shot of getting in, especially with the way the game is being viewed yeah. now. Yeah, yeah. It's a good question. I mean, it, it's it's it, it's certainly on the table for debate. Yeah. What is the greatest nickname in sports? Oh my word! I, I liked a guy many years ago who played for the Oakland A's. Didn't play for long. You can look him up. You're on you're on Baseball Reference. Hopefully, he goes by this name on there. And I think this was a nickname. I'm pretty sure it was. Look up the word. Look up the name Shooty Babbitt. S H O O T Y B A B B I T, I believe. Yeah, Shooty Babbitt. He goes by it on baseball I, I think it was, reference. I think, I think it was was his first name Mac. Uh, he actually is listed as Shooty Babbitt on Baseball Reference with no oh. real name. So okay, I thought it was Mac Shooty Babbitt. It, it it produced a great line from Billy Martin, who was managing the A's when Shooty played there. He yeah, said, if I ever Mac it, Neil Shooty Babbitt. There it is. Okay. So, it, so Shooty must be a nickname. So Shooty Babbitt was always one because it brought up a great line from Billy Martin who said, if you ever see Shooty Babbitt's name on one of my lineup cards, you need to shooty me. <laughs> I always uh, liked yeah. that. That was always a good one. He played for one year for the A's in 1981. And uh his slash line wasn't horrible. 256, 314, 301 slugging percentage. Not great. Yeah, it's not great. No, um, but you know, so that's probably not not yeah. good. Only um, only played yeah. in fifty four games. So right, that, I always I don't know why that that came to mind. Uh, basketball wise, I I love Darnell Hillman. It was Doctor Duncanstein, I believe. Um, that was always a good one. Uh, Muggsy Bogues. I don't Muggsy was not his first name. Right, it was Tyrone. Yeah, Muggsy Bogues, if I remember rightly. That's right. Um, and he just looked funny. Five three little guy. He looked like a Muggsy, right? Didn't he? I mean, he really and truly did look like a little Muggsy. Yeah, that, it fit him perfect. Yeah. Yeah. Football wise, let me think if there's any good football nicknames. There's not, doesn't seem like there's a lot of great football nicknames off the top of my head. Hacksaw Jack Reynolds. Uh, he he, he hates me. He hate me. Well, that, that was that. Yeah. Rod, was it Rod Smart? Was that that guy's name? I think so. <laughs> I think it was Rod. I think it was Rod Smart. Yeah. He hate me, but that was so contrived, especially putting it on the uniform. That was, that was silly. Um, yeah, I'm. I will say this: baseball nicknames crack me up because it's always like somebody's last name with a Y on it, right? Like, uh, like Jonesy, um, Sweetie, Indy, Indy, Jonesy. Yeah, 
And that, that always brought up a great line from Jeff Hobson, who covers the Bengals for Bengals.com. He said there was a writer in New England when he was up there that said, yeah, one day I'm just going to walk past the dead guy goes, yeah, there's corpsey. I mean, you know, everybody puts those Y's on the, on the last name. Um, I don't know why that is. It, it honestly, the next time you hear a manager talk about, yeah, I gave Indy the day off today. We'll, we'll get Farmy a day off a couple of days from now, you know. Uh, Moose, uh, for you know, he, he doesn't have the Y on it, but it, it feels like Y is going to a lot of baseball players' names for nicknames. That is true. I is that, yeah, I don't know. I don't know what that's about. I, that's, I don't either. Uh, that is a common thing, though. You're right. Uh, you're, you, I, I agree with you about the football names. It doesn't seem like there's as many nicknames in football in general. A couple like famous ones that come to mind is Sweetness with Walter Payton, but I don't know. That seemed more of like a right, right. contrived marketing thing as well. Broadway Joe. Yep. But yeah. yeah, not as many football nicknames. That I think I George. Really At- think I, yeah. I think George Atkinson, who was a safety for the Raiders, played with Jack Tatum, and they were two just absolute terrors as far as hitting people. I think George Atkinson went by Dr. Doom. I kind of like that one. What was uh, Deacon Jones? Did he have a nickname? Um, I think that was his nickname. I don't think that was. He, I, maybe Deacon was his real name. Yeah, I think Deacon might have been his real name, come to think of it. Yeah. The the fridge. That's a pretty good one. The fridge. The fridge is a good one. I mean, because yeah. he certainly fit the fit the bill. Yeah. Um, I think the answer for Iverson is one of the better ones, and the Iceman for George Gervin are that's two a good of one. the better nicknames. Oh, that's a great one. Yeah, that, that's a great one. And he was, man. He you talk about watching a guy play who epitomized the nickname. He did look like the Iceman when he played. Great yeah. line. The Iceman can finger roll. Uh, prime time for Dion is a great one. Yeah. Okay. No, he, that's a good one. Probably, I think he gave it to himself, but makes it a but little it less cool. Yeah, yeah but, it but, fit but it well. fit. You, you have to be really cool to give yourself a nickname and it's yes. Stick. Yes. Yeah. Yes, that's correct. <laughs> good point. All right. If you could have a boxing series that would rival Ali Frazier, which NCAA basketball coach would you choose to fight and why? I don't know if this is aimed at me for specific reasons or not. Um, I don't know why, because he just looks like a palooka. And I have no, he he may not be able to box, but he always looked jacked up the way he wore his suits and his his tie. Buzz Williams looks like a guy would be a fighter, does he not? Yeah, but I was thinking you had, we had to fight the guy personally. Oh, we did? I I assumed that's what that was asking, unless they wanted us to pit. Oh, I thought we were pitting coaches against each other. Yeah, I thought we were pitting two coaches against each other. Well, Buzz Williams, who would you want to see Buzz Williams fight? Buzz and Mick. <laughs> Buzz would beat Mick so badly. I mean, that's uh, like. Don't underestimate West Side toughness, my man. Uh, you, uh, you know where he's from. Where, where he's from, there's nothing to talk about. <laughs> uh, it, it, honestly, I don't know if there's a, a a organization in the right mind that would sanction that fight. I don't think you could. No one would approve that that mismatch. They don't want to watch a man well, die saying, in the and, ring. And for a lot of coaches, they're a little on the older side a lot of times, right? So yeah. it's hard to hard to Mick see. Is too. I, I might I might have taken in his day younger days. I might have taken hugs. Hugs could in his yeah. younger days. Yeah, I could I could see hugs throwing throwing some punches. Um, man, I'm drawing a blank on who. I mean, like. Patrick Ewing is huge, but he can't move around anymore. I was to say, he, yeah, he he doesn't move around well at all. Yeah. Um, it, it is it is does who's the guy? Is Musselman? Isn't he the one that sometimes wears like tight fitting? He doesn't yeah. wear ties. He he's wears, a goofball and he's yeah. a fireball. Yeah, I could see him fighting. Yep. Oh, uh, okay. you could get like him and and one of the Hurley brothers would be a good matchup. I feel like. Oh no, question. absolutely. Yeah. Or both the Hurley. 
Just like the Hurley's fighting out. Oh, the Hurley's. There you go. That, that would be, be an electric one factory. Too. And they got yeah. name and they got a little name brand. Yeah. I, 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 like I think one. you could sell I, that. If you could get them I, in the I, rough and rowdy for Barstool or whatever, you'd sell out. That's Speaking of that, like that, do you have any interest in watching Pac-Man Jones fight the uh, the undefeated boxing cop for Barstool's rough and rowdy in a couple um, weekends? Probably no, but I do want to. I, I, I am interested in, in how it turns out. Yeah, I mean, this guy's legit. What, what, I've right, seen this what, guy box a couple of times. He's yeah, real and he's much bigger. And Pac-Man's all kinds of crazy, right? So that that can sometimes factor in both good and bad. And you, if you remember, remember when he slapped the daylights out of that guy in the Atlanta airport? Yeah. Oh, yeah. And it was right. He was he was he was, he was actually I can't remember what happened. But he was actually justified for doing it, if I remember rightly. One of the few times that he. Did yeah, I don't even think he liked the, like the, the, even the police were like, yeah, you're good. Yeah, exactly. Um, I really can't remember what I still to this minute. I can't think did he bang into his wife or knock her down or something. It, he did something yeah. um, that, that it was justified, but it was it was like I think he dropped him in one fell swoop, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, there's no doubt that he he's thrown a punch or two before. But the other thing I heard uh, was someone, an, an NFL player did an interview. Oh, you know who it was? It was Dion because Dion works with Barstool now. Um, they, they were talking to Dion about it. And he said the thing about Pac-Man is when he agrees to do something, He's 100% all in on it. Doesn't really matter what it is. He's, he doesn't care. He's just like goes all in on things like this. They said he's been boxing nonstop since he agreed to do this. Like he's legit it, it working out for it. It wouldn't shock me. I mean, he was all in on the restaurant and it, I think it went under um, because of COVID, at least partially because of COVID, yeah. but he was all in on it. Like, if you remember right, people said he was in there. They'd see him in there working. Um, so yeah, I, I think there's some, probably some truth to that, that right. When he decides he's going to do something, he is all in on it. And, you know, last time I saw him in a locker room shirtless dudes cut, I'm going to give yeah, you that workout. He's, free. He's, he's put together pretty well. Yeah. But he's fighting this, uh, this guy is undefeated at these rough and rowdy events put on by Barstool. And the guy is Jack. I mean, the guy is two ten, probably two fifteen, So bigger than Pac-Man and, and has, has knocked some guys out. So it should be an interesting matchup. I'm actually looking forward to watching that. There you go. If you could be a sports journalist in any era and location in all of history, what would you choose? Uh, I would probably choose the 1950s New York baseball market where you had the Brooklyn Dodgers and the New York Giants and the New York Yankees. That, that, that just seemed like that, that a lot of books have come from that era that, that I've read over the years, and it just it, it's just enthralling to me. I, I'm an old soul at heart, man. I, I've, I've said this a lot. I, you know, we got a lot of modern conveniences these days, and that's all great. I, I think I'm somebody that probably would have been better off being in the 30s, 40s, and 50s, to be quite frank. So, yeah, I, I, I think the 50s in New York is a baseball writer. Okay. Yeah, I'm going – I think no matter what it is, and I don't even – there's a lot of different ways you could go with it sports-wise that are kind of intriguing, and I'm not – too romantic about the the history of all this stuff for me there's no doubt professionally it would be like late 90s early 2000 for the dot-com boom where it was the easiest thing in the world to get a job and everyone was, but the problem was not a lot of people kept well right but after that but you, but you had a decade of just making good money and, yeah, you're and right. being able to write for any rag basically even without talent so um i think that was I a good Plus, it was easy to build stuff too yeah, online. The other one, I wouldn't have minded the '80s into the mid '90s NBA in some way, shape, oh, or form. Oh yeah, and ma- I'd be magic covering bird, ma- magic magic bird through the bad boys into into the Jordan Bulls. I mean, that's a that would have been a fascinating era. 
Yeah, and I it would be covering NBA, of course. You could do end of, right. end of Jordan into Kobe into LeBron would be a good stretch to be yeah, covering. Yeah, yeah, I'd go a little bit earlier. So, yeah, we're kind of in that bridge, though. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, we're down to the final question, which was the question from last week that Mo Egger gave us. Please rank the following careers in order from worst to best, and I will run through these names one more time for everybody. We've got Milt Thompson, Brian Blados, Fennis Dumbo, Ron Hassey, Rolando Rooms, Justine Bateman, Kelly Holcomb, Damon Berryhill, Chuck Nevitt, Deb Dixon, Bill Gullickson, and Roan Stark. All right. So are you ready for this? Yep. So here we go. We're going from worst to best. Worst on the list, my man Finnis Dembo. Had a nice career at Wyoming, but had one NBA season in which he played all of 31 games. Next on the next from the next worst, Rolando Rooms. Only 426 career played appearances with the Reds and Expos, a career 676 OPS. Believe it or not, Chuck Nevitt should probably come in towards the, you know, maybe he should be the worst, but he did. How about this? He played nine NBA seasons. And if you look at his career, it's funny. He he missed a couple of full seasons in there because teams didn't want him. You talk about the guy that was the DNP coach's decision, Hall of Fame. It's this guy. Played nine NBA seasons, but played only 155 career games and averaged <gasps> 1.6 points, 1.7 rebounds. But he did play nine NBA seasons, yeah. Rick. What a career. I mean, he was, I mean, he was seven, six. And I guess, you know, occasionally you'd say go in and block a shot for us, Chuck. But, you know, a lot of DNP. Uh, that was called the uh, what did, Scott Hastings was one of those guys. It was, it was a lot of one minute end of game guys. He nicknamed the club. Uh, the one like trillion. The, the one trillion club. Yeah, where you yeah. get the one minute and then all zeros. Chuck Nevin had to be a captain on that team as well. Yeah, that was the Mark Titus started the Club Trill blog. Club Trill, yes, yeah, yeah Club Trill. Um, so Chuck Nevitt, third from the bottom, not the worst. Then comes Damon Berryhill, who did play 10 major league seasons, but had just a 656 OPS in 683 games. Then former Bengal Brian Blados, who did play eight NFL seasons, but started just 38 of 63 career games. Uh, well, actually, 38 of his 63 career starts, rather, came in his first three seasons in the league, and he was a first-round pick. So that's... That's not bust territory, but that's certainly not good. He was a member of the 88 uh, Bengals um, Super Bowl team, but was not a starter on that team. Uh, next on the list is Kelly Holcomb. Did play 10 NFL seasons with multiple teams, but started just 24 games in those 10 seasons. However, the reason he's not further down the list, he did start the 2002 playoff game for the Browns, which until this past year was the only playoff game for the Browns since they resurrected the franchise in Cleveland. And in that game, a loss to the Steelers, he threw for 429 yards and three touchdowns. Not bad. There you go. All right. Right above him as we move towards the best, Ron Hassey, 14 major league seasons, is kind of a platoon catcher, had just short of 1,000 hits, 722 career OPS, went 10 for 31 in the postseason, though, with the Oakland A's and won a World Series ring with the A's in 1989, and I believe caught the final out of that series. That was the, uh, that was the earthquake series with the Giants. Um, and I think Ron Hassey, I think he caught the final out. It was either him or Terry Steinbach, uh, but I'm pretty sure it was Ron Hassey who caught that. Then comes Milt Thompson, who's actually number five from the top. 13 MLB seasons, 1,029 hits, uh, OPS of over 700. Pretty solid career. Next, we've got Justine Bateman, um, working actress since the early 80s. Uh, just did something this past year. Was on a hit show for seven years, Family Ties, from 82 to 89. So, Pretty good acting career, and you could argue she should maybe be a little bit further up. But now we go to the top three on my list. These are the best. Bill Gullickson, 14 seasons, spent 86 and most of 87 with the Reds. 
Career record of 162 and 136 and a 3.93 career RA, number three on the list. Number two, Ron Stark. Mentioned him, left-footed punter, 16 NFL seasons, went to four Pro Bowls and made a Pro Bowl, mostly with the Colts first in Indianapolis. And then when they moved to, uh, well, then, then when the Colts franchise moved to Baltimore, became the Ravens, he punted for them as well. And number one, it's got to be the crime stopper of crime stoppers, the number one crime reporter in Cincinnati for all, for, for probably three decades, local 12s, Deb Dixon. And that is the list from worst to first. Uh, that's pretty good. I mean, I, I think you made the right call there with number one, Deb. She'll throw your ass in jail so quick. No question. I mean, she was just a, a force of nature on the streets of Cincinnati when yep. she was reporting. So pretty easy number one choice there. Always appreciate those questions from Mo. And, you know, he asked that he, he said that he had been waiting anxiously for it after last week's show. Uh, some, some other people mentioned, you know, why do you take so long for it? Like, look. The integrity of these lists is not something we take lightly. I, I, I don't want to do this off the top of my head. And no. the funny part is, it's not like I had to look these people up to know who they were. I knew who they all were last week. We went by each one individually. I told you each of them what they did. That was but impressive. I still, want, I still wanted to rank them according to, to performance. I'll be interested to see what Mo's ranking is after he hears this. As will I. All right, Rick, thanks. Thanks to Mo for that question. Keep those questions coming. We always enjoy them, uh, especially the Joey Vado debate. That was a good question to get things going with Ask Skinny Anything. Uh, our thanks to Rick Roaring for him. I'm Richard Skinner. This has been the Skinny Podcast brought to you by Ryan Keeper of Crime Lending. We'll see you next week.